Icarus will learn to not fly too close to the sun only when the beads of sweat are mixing with the melted wax dripping down his youthful back. Icarus will learn to not fly higher than he should only when his fragile wings, his hopes and dreams have failed him and he is falling from the sky. Icarus will learn of this, I'm sure, but he'll only learn when it's way too late and the mistakes he made can't be fixed. Icarus will learn, but it won't matter. Torin. The story of Icarus is intended to share the message of don't go to extremes or even, maybe more aptly, don't go past a reasonable breaking point. When it comes to online moderation, it is easy to jump to extremes. It's either all of a certain type of content is allowed or none of it is. At what point is moderating a local forum infringing on the user's right to free speech? Is there a fair place to draw the line due to moderators having their own biases? Are there any online communities that have truly perfected moderating? These are big questions, and I'm going to look at how a lack of moderation affects the perception of COVID-19. As far back as April, members of the City of Watertown Facebook group have been skeptical towards any post regarding COVID-19. These posts get anywhere from 20 to well over 200 comments, while the posts unrelated to COVID-19 are fortunate if they get one or two. The issue is that these comment sections often lack productive discourse and tend to sway between extreme conspiracy theories and the mocking of those who believe in those conspiracy theories, trolling and an abhorrent lack of empathy towards those who've died or lost loved ones due to the pandemic. A comment from April 2020 on the city numbers update reads, more tests equals more positives. Are the hospitals running short on beds? Ventilators? Nope. There's nothing that backs up this claim. It is just this claim being put onto a local government Facebook page. Another longer thread of comments begins, are these people in the hospital and dying? I think we have the right to now. In response, someone said, everyone who tests positive probably has different symptoms. What would we do different based on if they're in the hospital or dying? It's like people who also want to know where they live. How would that change what we are doing? In response to that, um, someone said, no, you don't. You don't even have the right to know. Statewide, about 24% of positive cases requires hospitalization. I doubt Watertown would deviate much from that state average. In response to that initial comment about having the right to know about people um, in the hospital and dying, someone replied, why would that make period difference? The thread continues anecdotally with one lady even talking about her sister's father-in-law who was 84 and had recently had heart surgery, getting sick, having a hard time breathing, and ended up having to go to urgent care. But they sent him home, saying he had pneumonia and never even tested him for COVID. She states that this was just in the last couple of weeks. She also stated that he did live and is doing fine now. But even at that point, they weren't going to waste the test. Additionally, someone unprompted brought up the fact that the only death in Dodge County, which is one of the two counties Watertown is in, was someone living in Florida. 
as can be seen from this interaction, even before the pandemic had really hit Watertown, there is a lack of constructive discourse, and the discussion quickly devolved into snobby grammar corrections and petty arguing. Additionally, the final person to comment in this discussion was using an anecdote as evidence for why COVID is serious, and suddenly those who are not necessarily supporting the guideline put in place by public health officials aren't replying. There also tends to be a rather negative, almost fed-up tone from the commenters who are replying to the initial comment. I strongly disagree with the initial commenters' sentiments for various reasons, um, such as HIPAA, which ensures health privacy, believing scientists, and having basic human empathy, amongst other things. But, that said, devolving into insults and having no interference from those who are supposed to run and moderate the group seems like an ineffective way to get everyone to get along and follow these guidelines put in place. The replies on these comments have remained relatively negative, with one man having yet to miss a single comment section since March 2020. He simply comments his conspiracy theories and gets into petty fights with those who disagree with him, to the point where a lot of people have even begun to block him. But there seems to be a lack of moderation. There's very little control of what types of things are said um, and whether or not those things are hurtful to certain communities. I have seen blatant racism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, and sexism, amongst other things, on this group, and there seems to be nothing done about it. So what can be done overall to help remedy this issue in a long-lasting, beneficial, effective way? Reddit is a site known for its individually moderated communities, otherwise known as subreddits, which either use auto-moderators or volunteer moderators to determine what content is deemed appropriate for the community involved. This is good in that voluntary moderators would often already interact with the content that they are moderating and as such are personally affected by it, um, as opposed to paid moderators who have to interact with the content that may be more individually traumatizing. According to a report published through the University of Maryland, volunteer moderators differ from paid moderators in that they have a level of control and self-determination that paid moderators do not, and they are often people who are known and interact with community members. This level of self-efficacy can be highly motivating for moderators, but also results in additional work as moderators. Moderating a public scholarship site on Reddit has them negotiate norms and ideals, such as democracy versus meritocracy, with their role as the arbiter of their community. Additionally, an issue with websites such as Reddit is that the content that is pushed to the top of the page might not be what the moderators deem most appropriate, as Reddit is based on a system of voting up certain pieces so that more people will see them, regardless of whether or not the moderators have time to look at that content first. In addition to this issue, Reddit's volunteer moderator system leads to issues with the transparency of guidelines. A study done by researchers at Virginia Tech states that this is a big issue. A lack of clear community guidelines that can be explicitly found and consistently followed by both auto and volunteer moderators. They say, quote, 
but do the moderators of subreddit communities follow these guidelines too? In this paper, we answer this question by employing a mixed methods approach of public moderation logs and collected from 204 subreddits over the period of five months, containing more than 0.5 million instances of removals by both human moderators and auto-moderators. This quote continues to elaborate on how these were not explicitly stated reports and removals, and that there weren't reasons given to the initial posters of this content as to what guidelines they were violating, which shows that while Reddit is a completely moderated medium, it really isn't moderated in a way that is effective because of the lack of clear rules and each subreddit having its own individual guidelines. While Reddit is seen as the generally highly moderated community, this lack of consistency in the moderation is harmful to the users and can begin to infringe upon the line of free speech due to the biases of the volunteer moderators. While ultimately, highly moderated communities can tend to produce higher quality content, going over the line in a way that Reddit seems to have done is ultimately harmful to the types of content that's being pushed to the top and even allowed to be produced. That said, is a complete lack of moderation a productive way to have online discourse? Or is it ultimately harmful in the ways that we saw previously with the City of Watertown Facebook page? Let's take a further look at a more unmoderated communities like Twitter. Twitter is often seen as a total free-for-all by its users. When discussing my social media usage with my therapist, he informed me that a lot of his other patients referred to Twitter as a, quote, health site. I found this particularly interesting due to the fact that someone's Twitter dashboard is completely customized based on who they follow and isn't based on community posts in the way that Reddit is. Personally, I like Twitter because it's a place where I can interact with my friends, my favorite authors, my favorite podcasters in a fun, interactive, low-stakes way. However, many people use Twitter as a primary source for news and as a place to see how the masses are responding to certain events and engaging in the discourse around these events. Like any social media, if you are only consuming the negative content, you're going to have a negative experience which makes the analysis of Twitter as a hell site make less sense to me. Because it is a completely unmoderated forum, at least by individuals and communities, but it isn't unmoderated in the sense that you don't get to choose what content you as an individual are seeing. Because studies have shown that moderation does increase content quality, it does beg the question of whether or not having a more open discussion forum is actually beneficial for the users. In lieu of the 2020 election, Twitter did begin flagging anything that they deemed fake news, such as Trump tweeting about the election results before they were officially called. This means that while they might not be moderating the type of content that's up for discussion, they are making sure that the content that is put up for discussion is factually sound. And that might be more beneficial than moderating what people are saying. Neither seem to have gotten online moderation down to a T. Before we circle back to Facebook, though, I would like to interview members of my family about their favorite social media and how well they feel they are moderated. 
So first we're gonna talk about my brother Josh and his favorite social media platform, which is Instagram. Josh, how do you feel about Instagram's quality of content and do you think it's benefited from the use of moderation? Um, well, the quality of content on Instagram is terrible. I mean, there's nothing good on that website. And I think it, yeah, I think it benefits from moderation if it was employed more. Why do you think the quality of content on Instagram is terrible if it's your favorite? I, I, I'm going to be honest here. I go on Instagram for memes, um, but there are lots of advertisements for lewd women on the site. That imply that you're looking at that type of content? It would. Based on that, what the algorithm is showing you? I, no. <laughs> I would never. While Josh's interview took a different turn than I was expecting, I think it does still highlight how moderation can be beneficial. Next, we're going to talk to my mother, who is a user of Facebook. Mom, how do you feel about Facebook's use of moderation and whether or not it improves the type of content you see? Um, so I do like when they have the ability to quickly fact check stories people post so that when I read something and I read the headline and I'm wondering about it, I can quickly look um, for the background information on it to see if it's true or not. Um, in the comments, there feels to be very little moderation done a lot of times, and then people go off and say things that are not true. I know in the last year, there was, my husband's a police officer in town, and there was a shooting, and people in the comments about the shooting were stating things that we knew were not true, and um, no one was pulling them down so people in the community believed that they were true and it kind of perpetuated a lie and misconceptions on what really happened that evening. Well, obviously having a conversation with my family is not necessarily the best way to get a general opinion on online moderation. I do think that the points my mom brought up were really valuable insights onto how the City of Watertown Facebook page is working on moderating its community, which is really not at all. There's very little removal of incorrect facts. There is very little moderation on what sort of comments can be made about individuals in the community that are going to be seeing this content. And ultimately, it seems as if there's a lot of harmful content posted. As for my brother, his discussion was a little bit less serious, but was still worth looking at because he was seeing content he supposedly did not want to see. When looking at how Facebook functions, a lot of people identify it as a conglomeration of Twitter and Reddit and how there's a direct contact with your circle of quote-unquote Facebook friends and a larger community ideal in the terms of Reddit referred to as Facebook groups. When looking at how this applies to politics and political pages specifically, it's interesting to look at how the individuals involved with these pages accept their title as the arbiters of justice. In an article hiding hate speech, political moderation on Facebook, there's an argument that because, quote, political actors conduct 
direct comment moderation, the findings indicate that these actors acknowledge being responsible for moderating debates. Since turning off the comments section is impossible on Facebook, moderators can choose to delete or hide comments, and these arbiters tend to find the latter more useful in order to avoid an escalation of conflicts. The hide function makes comments invisible to participants in the comment section, but the hidden texts remain visible for those who made the comment and their network of friends. Thus, the users are unaware of being moderated. They continue on to argue that hiding problematic speech without the user's awareness is not a good idea in terms of public debates and is ethically iffy at best because similarly to how Reddit is not informing them of the guidelines that they are violating, not informing the users that they are being censored. So how does this interact with the idea of online moderation in terms of COVID-19. While Facebook does allow for a fact check function, is it enough to say, here's this function, go figure it out for yourself and allow people to still spread misinformation when the Watertown page isn't doing anything to correct this information? Is it ethical to allow people to continue to spread this misinformation without interference? I don't necessarily think it is. I think that it is important as a community to spread information and hope that people are willing to listen instead of allowing those people who aren't willing to listen to continue to spread hate and harmful ideals throughout a community, especially when it comes to a pandemic. Throughout my research, I have determined that it is everyone's responsibility to stop these hateful people from taking over the conversation. It's unproductive and it's unhealthy as a society to allow uneducated people to lead the conversation. When it comes to COVID-19, we as a society need to normalize listening to the experts. And that means listening to public health professionals and doctors. Mark from Facebook spreading his QAnon theories and saying that COVID-19 is a global conspiracy to get Joe Biden into office is not a credible source, and so we collectively need to do better about moderating this content as well as just generally working towards encouraging those in charge of these local community pages to spread the accurate information and reduce the spread of inaccurate information with ethical moderation in mind. This means that we need to inform people of clear guidelines, alert them when their content is being taken down, and give them the exact guideline that they have violated, as well as following those basic rules of in-person communication that we all follow. The easiest solution to Watertown's problems with online moderation is to remind people to be good human beings. This means that we can't allow ourselves to devolve into petty name-calling and silly grammar corrections. It's not relevant to the conversation. When we're engaging in online discourse, we need to moderate ourselves so that others have an easier time moderating the entire community. As a community, Watertown has never been more divided, and I think that's largely due to a lack of moderation on Facebook. 
And while a lot of the moderation functions that Facebook already has are harmful at best because they don't inform the users of what they are doing incorrectly, doesn't mean that there should be no moderation at all. While Reddit is an imperfect example of a mass moderation, it shows in the type of people and the type of content produced that there is moderation involved. And when you look at how Twitter has really changed the game by putting in big, bold text on the bottom of factually incorrect or factually questionable tweets about politics, they are taking the reins of the situation. And I think that other social media companies need to follow their lead. While hiding hate speech without informing the poster of that speech is ethically wrong and violating of the First Amendment, it's not violating free speech if you inform them. Your actions have consequences. It's no different than if someone was to, in an extreme example, go to prison without being given a reason for what crime they committed. That's just wrong. And so at the end of the day, I think we need to take a step back and look at what we can do as individuals to improve the quality of the content and the discourse, and what we need to push social media companies to do in terms of moderation of discourse. And our local governments need to be held responsible for the moderation of their online communities. Thank you for your time and have a great rest of your day. This podcast has been written, produced, and recorded by Josie Malloy with special appearances from Joshua Malloy and Christine Malloy. Thank you for listening.